Acts chapter 6, if you will please. Let's just pray. God and Father, we look to you for help and blessing this morning. I know how much or that I need much help, and uh, you know even more so. So you gave your gracious Holy Spirit to give us the help and the aid that we need. And how we thank you for that great, great gift, gift of grace and uh, and mercy to us. Hallelujah, we sang. And, and uh, those, those uh, chords will echo again in, in days to come. And we will gather ultimately around the throne, and then we'll really shout it out. But for now, we, we look to you for our help in our infirmities, and uh, and for help in our weakness, and, and for insight in your word, and for blessing upon us this morning. Father, we look to you and ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last time... Last time we got as far as the end of chapter 5, touched a little bit on the first verses of chapter 6, only hinted at a couple of things there last time, but uh, I said that that was the close of the first major section, according to Gooding, and I think he's got some good points, uh, valid points, Um, would bring us through verse 7, the section 1. of the book of Acts. <clears throat> well, I, I was tempted to just start with verse uh, section 2, you know, chapter 6, verse 7, and go from there and just pretend like I had, had handled or covered everything I wanted to in, cha- in the first verse of chapter 6. I just couldn't do it. Uh, there's a few more things. There's a couple of things that I would like to emphasize out of those first verses before we pass on through there. So, uh, the, those widows, you know, they felt neglected, uh, and I'd hate to neglect them again <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> so, we're going to read the first uh, seven verses of Acts chapter 6. Acts 6, starting at verse 1. In those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows... Because their widows... (laughs) Because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. (laughs) Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said... It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Paramenus and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests 
were obedient to the faith. This is the second problem, issue, that the uh, Spirit of God, uh, Luke, as he looks, as the historian writes about uh, in the church in these early days. And, And actually it's kind of encouraging that these things are highlighted or mentioned or detailed for us to consider uh, that problems did occur in the early church even that church that wonderful church in Jerusalem of all places there of all places and of those um, with the apostles present the twelve apostles chosen by the lamb instructed by him directly seen the risen Lord themselves and uh, taught of him and and yet they as the as the uh, united leadership in that church at Jerusalem there's still problems occur even there I guess we shouldn't be too surprised if issues occur in every little local church everywhere it just is a part of the problem that we carry with us when we come into the church they, you know the old saying if you are looking for a perfect church if you find one don't join because you'll ruin it you'll, you'll bring you'll bring problems in it but uh, actually there's no such thing yet it will be but not yet it shows us that the Holy Spirit is able to face these things, these issues. It's, n- it's never been a surprise or a shock to him. And he doesn't uh, abandon the church when problems occur. That's pretty encouraging to know. He is, was promised by the Lord Jesus to be, come as a comforter and to abide with us forever. I guess that means through thick and thin. And, uh, and he has proven himself to be true to that promise these 2,000 plus years and I think we can be pretty well assured that he's going he's gonna to make it to all, the way, all the way to the end in spite of us uh, the result of issues and difficulties interestingly enough thanks to the wonderful gracious presence and work of the Holy Spirit the result turned, turned out as we read in verse 7 actually uh, an improvement there was, a, there was growth there was development there was actually a better condition in the end than there was prior not that we should look for problems but the Spirit of God is not going to be deterred in his work in us because of issues in our midst that, that do show up perceived perfection a perceived perfection in others or in a, in a local church for example um, it can be actually very intimidating to to those of us who have not yet attained to perfection <laughs> to, to those of us that look in the mirror and see someone that falls short uh, perceived perception, perfection in somebody else is kind of intimidating in many ways Unfortunately, it is. Uh, we we see some of that. Uh, I don't know quite how to overcome that. Uh, we, we we need to be aware of that. That that is just a weakness of our own flesh. That we are comparing, you know, to comparing ourselves to one another or to what we perceive in one another is not a wise thing. It's not helpful. Uh, so. We need to be careful about that. I don't know. I don't know quite how to overcome it. You know, there's there's times when uh, uh, you're at a a prayer meeting or something like that, or at a time of prayer, a group of prayer, and 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 some people, because of who they are, the way that God has made them and developed, they can 
and pray so eloquently. We have a prayer group in the mornings that, that I attend by via Zoom. And Mike Atwood is, is one of the, and there are others too that are, some of them are, that are, I think, in full-time ministry of the Word, uh, some, a couple of them, a few. But anyway, there are several that are on that call, and, and when we break up into small groups to pray together, well, some brothers can pray so eloquently. <laughs> they can praise. They can put. They can, you know, frame their sentences and their prayers with such, such fluidity and eloquence, and it almost makes uh, clumsier people like myself want to just kind of. Well, I'll just skip praying because, you know, <laughs> it sounds like kind of a clod, or you know, a child or something. That's an unfortunate thing, isn't it? That's 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 a bad idea on my part to be so sensitive or to be to compare those kinds of comparisons. Uh, and so I don't know how to overcome that exactly, but but that's something we should work on in our hearts and recognize that it's not a competition. Spiritual things is not a competition. That eloquence in the church and God has given some more eloquence than others. It's to encourage. It's to edify and build up, and it does that. We are encouraged. I mean, I I love to to pray with Mike and and Mark Beebe and some of these others that can that can put things together in their prayers. And I say my amen to them most heartily to their prayers and say and pretend like I'm part of this. And we are. We're we're together in this. It's a fellowship. And and uh, and yet they also say their amen to my stumbling prayers when I, when I uh, and so you got to put aside those you got to mortify those attitudes those competitive attitudes or ideas in our minds and and uh, and and uh, I don't know anyway you know what I'm talking about and you know what it's, you know how it works. The, this church in Jerusalem was not was not perfect, and so and the Spirit of God was not intimidated, or it was not a problem for him to record. He, he's fully transparent. Record problems that occurred there in in the Word of God, and it's settled in heaven <laughs> uh, because it, because the uh, provision for all of these issues and for all of our shortcomings for all of our sin that provision was already made has been totally taken care of by the Lord Jesus at the cross for us all sin has been answered has been dealt with and taken care of God does not have to be afraid of our sin and he isn't he's not he's not afraid that we will we will utterly fail him he's he has already made provision for that our uh, and and so uh, and he has given us the Holy Spirit. To, and what a gracious gift. What a gracious spirit we have who never overruns your personality or your will. He just doesn't overrule in you. I, I think that's amazing to me. And several times I have even asked, oh, just take over. Just take over. He won't do that. He won't do that. No, no, you're too important. You're too important for God to overrun. He He has made you. He has He has uh, He He will He will have His delight from you. 
And he'll give you the opportunity. I mean, he will graciously let you express yourself. It is a, it is a wonderful thing. We, we sometimes, uh, like I say, perceived, we might perceive perfection or close to perfection in somebody else. The fact is that none of us have yet arrived or attained, even the Apostle Paul himself, in, in Philippians chapter uh, 3, he, uh, he says uh, these words. Three, twelve, and 13 I wanted to read not as though I had already attained says the apostle it's not like I've already attained either we're already perfect but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus I haven't attained, I know it, I am not perfect, I know that, but that just fuels my desire to press on and to uh, uh, follow after, as as he puts it. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You can kind of just get sense the apostle's desire, his, his longing for, he writes that to the book of Philippians. The Philippians, that, their name means the love of horses. And you sense this, you sense the apostle like a racehorse, just stretching his neck, trying to reach the, the prize, going for it. He's going to put it all in. He is... Uh, Fully on, fully on board. That and that's that's where, where we should go with that. We can't. Most of us will not. Unlike Daryl, of course, will not talk about our problems out loud in public. <laughs> Daryl's the exception, I know, but <laughs> but most of us will kind of shrink from that and hide. Hide the, our problems as though they don't. If that though they don't really exist. Uh, but the Holy Spirit had Luke go ahead and include these sections with us so that we might be warned and helped in our struggles. It's, it's, it's a, we all know that we're doing that. We all, you know that I'm not going to just hang out my dirty laundry. And we don't do that. And so, but you know that I'm not perfect and I know you're not. And yet we fellowship together, right? Because we want to encourage one another, edify one another, build one another up in Christ. And, and, and we do that. Your presence and your participation, even if you may seem, you may feel like it's not up to par or stumbling a little bit, your participation is coveted by everyone here. Really for the encouragement and help and blessing, the mutual blessing of us all. That's what a local church is all about. Building up till we all come. And, and so there's, a, there's my, my word of encouragement.
uh, just in the fact that this is recorded for us lay aside our inhibitions and and participate in the Lord's work and encouraging one another this way do what we can do we have we've read those lovely verses uh, of how the church was of one accord and uh, they were continuing a gladness and singleness of heart yet in chapter 5 we saw uh, problems with uh, an individual well it was two individuals Ananias and Sapphira but they were acting as one right they were one one flesh an individual problem sometimes enters in uh, and here in chapter 6 it's a group problem it's a division of the body it's a problem of a, of a and in those kinds of problems we face the church has faced all through its history in different places how sad there have been such a, a lot of division amongst God's people over the years it's so it's so strikingly sad this little text should help us this little text should help us chapter 5 helps us with individual situa- situations with individuals that uh, uh, you know with that and, and this with the problem of division in the in the body um, the saints of Jerusalem just just naturally by definition of who they were they just naturally kind of fell into two groups there were the Grecians or also called sometimes the Hellenists these were Jewish the Jews from out of town so to speak from out of Israel they were the Jews of the day of the diaspora of the uh, dispersion from these other nations remember at Pentecost there were Jews there at in Jerusalem from all these different nations and he listed about 12 or 14 different countries that were represented by the audience uh, that Peter preached to on the days on Pentecost those would have been called the Hellenist Jews, the ones that spoke Greek, they had, they had, they lived in a different uh, cl- uh, country and culture than the than the Jewish uh, uh, in Israel, and had given up the speaking of Hebrew years before, I'm sure, centuries maybe, but anyway, a long time, and uh, they were Greek-speaking Jews, and that's what we're talking about here: the Grecians. These are the some of these folks, evidently through that wonderful work of the Spirit of God at Pentecost added to the church 3,000 souls. Many of them were from the, from the dispersion of Israel. They were Hellenists. They were, they were Greek-speaking. And those that were of the nation of Israel itself, uh, in Judea and Galilee too was included, were Hebrew-speaking yet. They, maintained, they did speak Greek, of course, but they spoke Hebrew uh, they were they maintained the Hebrew culture and language, so they naturally divided by virtue of language into two groups: the Grecians and the Hellenists, or Grecian the Hellenists and the and the Hebrews. Uh, I, we were in a an assembly in Sacramento. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in, it's in Sacramento, right? And there. There, they had actually, they had actually two. They had one time of remember one, one remembrance of the Lord. But then for the ministry meeting, they would actually break up into two groups, because you had such a large population of uh, 
of Koreans uh, there that they had a, no, yeah, it was Koreans, yeah, they had a Korean um, speaker and in the Korean language, the ministry was in the Korean language for those people in their mother tongue. And then there was a second meeting over here where we were, we attended that spoke English. And most of them were kind of broken English anyway. There was quite a quite an ethnic group in that bunch. But anyway, that was you see how they kind of just naturally fit, fit into two groups. Whether they and it was like that in Jerusalem. Apparently, I don't think that they separated like that on, in their teaching times. But there was the Grecians and the Hebrews. And it's easy to see how two parties could uh, uh, could evolve in a situation like that. It's easy to see how it could happen, but it's not okay. It's not okay. I'm not saying it wasn't okay for Sacramento to do what they did. They, they maintained the unity of the body, even though they, they taught in two different languages at the same time. That, that's, that's one way of handling it right. But, but the, to, to actually allow a division to, to separate the people of God is not okay. It's not okay. It wasn't, wouldn't be okay for Jerusalem. The Lord said, you are all brethren. That was his teaching. That was his word on that. You're all brethren. There should be no divisions like that. The Holy Spirit baptized all into one body, remember. Those, the, so the prejudice, sectarianism, bigotry, all sorts of divis- divisive types of sins and attitudes are part of the old nature that uh, we have uh, been saved from that, Right? That kind of thing is part of the old man. We, it's part of all of us. We all have prejudice within our hearts, whether we can want to admit it or not. It's a real, it's a real thing, and it's something that we have to deal with in our flesh and mortify, as it were. It can crop up as it did here, uh, but the beautiful thing is it doesn't have to crop up. We don't have to harbor prejudice or allow it to have its ugly way in us, amongst us. And there's all kinds of things that people divide over, churches divide over. It's surprising some of the petty things that can actually divide a body of believers. But the, but the, the key, grace is the key to deliverance uh, from the divisions and, uh, and relationship-killing works of the flesh. Because our flesh naturally destroys relationships. <laughs> with other people, certainly with God, and with other people as well. And, and, uh, but that's the flesh. But, we, but grace is the answer to that. The solution that the apostles came to, or proposed here in this situation, was a, was a twofold thing, a twofold solution. First of all, <clears throat> they wanted to maintain, they, they were keen on maintaining uh, and having a renewed focus on prayer and the Word of God, the, the apostles said, "We we can't we can't cut that in any way. That that has to be maintained." And so there's a renewed focus on the Word of God and on prayer and the Word of God. The apostles did not. Now you notice as they handled this situation when the when this was brought to the apostles' attention uh, that that the, uh, the Grecians were being neglected. Uh, in the daily ministration the, then the uh, when that was brought to the apostles attention you, you'll notice that they did not le- delegitimize the complaint they did not get 
on the case of Greece and say, oh, quit your mumbling. You shouldn't be murmuring. Murmuring is a terrible thing. Murmuring is the opposite of praise. Murmuring is anti-fellowship. You shouldn't be murmuring. You know, this, don't do that. Uh, they did not delegitimize the complaint. I think that's a valuable lesson to, to learn, to think about it. They didn't even make a comparison uh, of, of the importance of various things. For example, they didn't say, well, preaching the word is more important than taking care of your daily ministrations. They didn't say that. They just, they just, they, they didn't make comparisons of importance. Is this more important than that? Well, it kind of depends on who you are that's evaluating it, right? To some people, this is more important than that. In, and But in my life, this seems to be more important or more urgent sometimes. It just kind of depends on a lot of things. So comparing this with that in a, as a measure of importance is kind of not very, not usually very wise. And, uh, and, and we don't often have the perspective to be able to do that uh, rightly. <clears throat> I think prayer and preaching the word is the... Uh, that the apostles decided, uh, or that they said uh, that they wanted to, uh, this was what they were going to focus on, refocus on. Part of the solution to this problem is we're going to maintain, we're going to focus on prayer and the preaching of the word for the apostles. The preaching of the word and prayer is actually it's one of the most practical things that the church can do. To preach the word. Yeah, and then lifestyle will follow. Sometimes we've been, it's suggested that that we need to have more practical uh, things taught, and need to be more practical, not so doctrinal. Shouldn't be so focused on on preaching. And uh, but I, I think that uh, that preaching the word and and prayer itself is is the practical. Thing that the church can do. If we preach the word faithfully, the lifestyle, the Christian lifestyle that we're hoping to achieve will follow. And that's what it'll come from, from an understanding of the word of God. We're to love one another with all discernment and knowledge and so forth. It, the, it sets the stage. It actually lays the foundation for right living. It's the word of God that is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that does the piercing and the dividing as necessary for the life to fall out in the right way. It's the Word of God that is alive and powerful. And so we preach the Word. It's the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. It's those same Scriptures inspired by God to us that will thoroughly equip the man of God to every good work. So we... So a focus on, on the Word of God and teaching the Word of God is a very practical thing in the assembly. And the second thing that they wanted to the, proposed as the solution, of course, was a plurality of leadership of those who are spirit-led men who could, could uh, give special attention to this particular detail. Uh, but plurality of leadership, spirit-led leadership, is the other half of the solution to the problem. 
And this sets a wonderful, I think, a most important, a very important precedent in New Church, uh, New Testament Church order. Uh, that <clears throat> this passage, and most of the, most people uh, turn to this passage and say this passage is describing the first recognized deacons in the church. Although the word, the noun for deacon, is not used in in this text, uh, and interestingly enough, the verb for deacon. To serve, to minister, is used of, uh, I, I noticed, the uh, it is used in verse 2, serve tables. But here it is in verse 4. But we, says the apostles, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the deaconizing of the word <laughs> so the, anyway I thought that was interesting the ministry of the word that's that that's the word that would be but anyway some people most people say this is a first uh, example of recognized deacons in the church uh, but the same idea of plurality of leadership would is also necessary and addressed and followed in the scriptures for uh, the elders and bishops, if you want to refer to them, uh, the elders as well. Recognition of elders is always found in a plural form in the New Testament. Wherever they're addressed, it's always in the plural, never never singular. Uh, the only possible exception to that, I guess, would be in Third John, where Diotrephes is mentioned. Who it says he loves to have the preeminence. He wanted to be the man in charge, but that was not a commendation. That was not a commendation. That was a uh, definitely a, a charge against that man. Note too that there were men, the men that they that they chose up and they were instructed to choose. Look ye out from among yourselves. It says uh, these men. These men were indigenous men to those to whom they would serve, to the body. They were part of the body before and through. It would, it's not, not a biblical uh, uh, norm to send away and to call a, uh, a leader in the church from a distant place and bring them in to... I mean, I'm not saying it's all definitely wrong that this will never work. Or I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as far as precedent that's set in the scriptures, these men were indigenous to the body to whom they were going to serve. And Peter spoke of the elders in First Peter chapter 5. He says, the, uh, the elders which are among you, and, and of course that seems to imply to me the same same idea. There, this, this, of course, would, would ensure that they were known men in the midst. If you're going to choose men, you've got to pick from those you know. And uh, these men were known, or as Paul would put it uh, in, uh, in the instructions as far as deacons are concerned in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let them also first be proved. They should be, they should be proved. They should be known. They should have a, an example uh, of who they are. So there's two uh, qualifications held out that they should look for in the men that they wanted to choose to do this work. And, and the first one is an honest report. Again, they, they're known. 
they have a they have a, a witness. They've been they have a testimony of of being trusted and able to be trusted. Uh, actually, they're dealing with money, and so trust and honesty is is obviously paramount, isn't it? They're able to deal with the uh, with the money. Uh, but then they're also able to deal with people because they're supposed to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. <laughs> That's the other side of it. And so you have to both deal with money on the one hand and be honest and upfront and, and transparent and, and uh, straightforward in your dealings with money, but you also need to have the Spirit of God's guidance and wisdom and direction in dealing with people because you can't, because that, that takes that, doesn't it? These men then were in verse 6. It says they were set before the apostles. They, when they had picked these men, and these are the names that are held out to us, they set them before the apostles. That kind of reminds me of back in the earlier chapter of Barnabas, the gift that Barnabas brought and others would bring too, the gifts that they would bring, they would lay them at the apostles' feet, it says. And we took note of that little expression and recognized that what they were saying there is that they were actually offering these things unto the Lord by laying them before the apostle who was in the representative of the Lord in the meeting there. And so they... They were offering it to the Lord. And was not the assembly offering these men uh, to the Lord as they set them before the apostles? The, these are the men that will, uh, you know, we would put before the Lord to serve the Lord in this thing, in this business. The men themselves, you got to recognize, they, they, mu- they must have been willing to do the office, to do the work. Um, they were called upon to do it, and they were willing, apparently, uh, they're willing to take time, their own time, and dedicate it to this work. And it was not a, a simple thing, obviously. It was a daily ministration. So this was there was a lot of responsibility, and it was a, and it took a, a portion of their time, uh, at least a portion. If you've ever had to take care of elderly people, you know that takes a lot of work. That's a lot. Of, there's a lot involved in that. More to it than just you know setting tables. They cared for these these uh, widows in the meeting, evidently, and so it's a workload. Uh, they, uh, I think, they were offering themselves also to the Lord. It was their offering. It was their offering to the Lord, and what a beautiful thing that is! How that elevates that service. Uh, to a very high calling of God in Christ Jesus to be able to give an offering to God it's a holy priesthood type of a work <laughs> to offer this to God their service to these to these widows and to the assembly and and to the apostles and but most of all and first and foremost obviously they were serving the Lord in this and it and it takes the the uh, the uh, what otherwise might be considered mundane kind of things or um, necessary kind of chores that have to be taken care of uh, that allows the functioning of the body as we gather together. Those kinds of chores uh, can can be and are and should be an offering to the Lord by those that, that do it. This is an opportunity for us to to bring a gift to our Lord in a special way. 
well, as I was thinking about that, I thought, oh, shame on me. I should, speaking of not being yet attained and not being very perfect, how many times have I, this year mostly, not so much the previous years, well, I've failed a little this year. I've slipped a little, apparently. Uh, how many times have I grumbled and grudged at having to clean that sidewalk out there with the snow that the <laughs> city keeps piling on there? <laughs> I've been tempted as they drive by in those big maintainer things, plowing snow all over the place. I've been <laughs> tempted to shake my fist at them. Hope I don't do any worse. <laughs> Oh, oh, when I was studying this, I was, I was, I thought about my attitude. And I thought, oh, how shameful for me. I should have recognized that this little business is an offering to the Lord. That would make it a lot more fun, a lot more encouraging, you know. A much lighter load to shovel the snow off of there. It's an opportunity to give that to the Lord. Anyway, encourage you in uh, in your service to the body. Uh, they effectively nipped the the problem of. Uh, of the possibility of division in the assembly in the bud, didn't they? By their by their willingness to give of themselves to the Lord. Now it is interesting to note that this uh, this says something. Uh, this says something wonderful about the assembly there in Jerusalem, and. It also makes a wonderful statement about the apostles that were there in the assembly at this time. So those two things, two thoughts yet, I want to also add to our meditations on this portion. The first thing has to do with, it says something about the assembly, doesn't it? It says, that because it says that the, 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 the whole multitude was pleased with, what, with this saying, and they were all on board with what, what happened here. Oh yeah, at first there was this problem in their midst, this grumbling and uh, this but but they all got on board to the solution and uh, and and notice how they handled it. This see it was the it was the whole assembly that selected these seven men to uh, to bring to the apostles for their uh, agree uh, agreement and approval, I guess, and and to uh, put them into that position so that they could take care of this business that needed to be tended to. It was important. It had to be handled, and had to be handled fa- uh, faithfully. So the whole assembly, the whole multitude, was involved in this. They were on board with this proposed solution, and they all seemed to agree on the men that they that they picked out. They picked out seven men. Evidently, everybody was in agreement on it. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about it, because the interesting thing is all seven names are Grecian. They're all Greek names. So they were all part of the Grecian side, the Hellenist side of the assembly. Isn't that, to me, that, that is beautiful. The assembly, the whole body. Yeah, this needs to be tended to, and who better to tend to it than the ones that perceive the the, the issue, 
their widows are being neglected. They say they're the ones that were complaining. The ones that were murmuring, they're the ones that are wholly represented in the solution of this thing, in this case. And Gabling said, you know, that's a, 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 the sweet rebuke of grace. <laughs> yeah, to put away complaining and murmuring. And to, and to put away the possibility of a division in the assembly. Let's just go ahead and get this fixed and we'll fix it in the best possible way. Had they chosen some Grecians and some of the Hebrews to be represented in those seven men, you see, they would have, well, they would have institutionalized the division. They would have made the division permanent if they would have picked some of this and some of that, because there would have always been amongst those seven men, you know, a little bit of negotiations on the administration duties. It would have actually been counterproductive. But no, the wisdom, somehow, we believe by the Spirit of God, they had the wisdom and the grace to know this is something, this is an opportunity to put this aside. We'll we who are Hebrews in this in this group, we completely trust you, bro- you brothers, to take care of this problem properly, and put it in your hands. Now that knocked that division out right right away. What a beautiful what that that says something so so beautiful about that assembly, the harmony, the unity, the willingness to submit to one another, the the. Uh, they trust in one another. I think that's just something to be learned there. The second thing that it says, uh, it says something very beautiful about the apostles. Uh, they were actually, uh, the, they were actually. There was some pretty serious charges that were actually leveled against the apostles in the murmuring of the Grecians, saying, "Hey, we're we're, we're getting slighted. We're being neglected here." Our widows are not being cared for like the Hebrews' widows are. The apostles, uh, mostly from Galilee, and maybe one or so from Judea itself, they were all part of the Hebrew side of the assembly, so to speak. And so the charge against them that the uh, that the Hellenists were being, you know, discriminated against. they were they were actually accusing apostles of you know kind of playing favorites a little bit here. If a government official awards contracts and so forth, or some kind of monetary advantage to just his relatives and friends, we call that corruption. <laughs> that is absolute corruption in the government, and it's just a very short step from that to actual embezzlement, isn't it? These are serious charges that were brought against the apostles. They may have taken it very seriously. They may have taken it very personally. They may have been very deeply offended by this. I'm sure. Aren't you pretty? I have a pretty high level of confidence that the apostles were not intentionally slighting the Grecian widows. I, I'm pretty sure they did not intentionally uh, 
play favorites. It doesn't seem like what the apostles will do, does it? Or, yeah. But the Hellenists, on that, on the other hand, they were not. They weren't just making it up, were they? That's the other side of it. See, for the apostles to say, no, that's not true, to deny the charges, suggests that the Hellenists were fabricating something to kind of get a little bit of a monetary gain over the, you know. So in order for them to, for them to deny the charge is actually to reverse the charge and bring a charge against those that were, first of all, charging them. You can see what I'm saying? Try to gain an advantage. <clears throat> what you got to love about this is that there's not one word of self-defense from the apostles. They did not defend themselves. They did not make an excuse. They did not try to say that, no, it's not true. It's not happening. We're, we're just. They did not uh, justify any of their actions. No excuses given. Wow. That's huge when you think about it. I, I and I and I did think about it because I was very convicted about my own uh, tendency to right away defend myself when any criticism comes my way. Well it's a good thing that they didn't make an excuse for themselves or try and justify themselves, because the Grecians, had they done so, would have they would have felt even more devalued than than what they uh had already felt slighted, they would have felt even more devalued that their that their issue, their concerns, their complaints were not taken seriously, were not were not listened to. And the leadership of the apostles would definitely have been undermined by the Grecians had they made any kind of an excuse or self justification in a situation like this. Accused though they were they did not dare try to defend themselves. It would have only led to uh, the Grecians driven away even worse. They would have felt slighted. The Grecians would have said, you guys don't even listen to us. You, you don't listen to us. And, uh, and so they wouldn't have listened to them in, in leadership manners. Were they slighted? Were they being neglected? It, it doesn't. The text doesn't tell us, and it really doesn't matter, does it? It really doesn't make any difference. The point is, they felt they were. They felt like they were. And they expressed that somehow. Maybe they didn't express it in the best way. Maybe they didn't express it in the in in the right context. Maybe they didn't take their brother aside and and deal with him personally like the Bible says you're supposed to deal when you've got an offense with the brother. Maybe they didn't cross their T's and dot their I's. They murmured, "Oh, we have a reason, don't we, to disregard their complaint because of the way they brought it or didn't bring it." Because they talk behind our backs, says the apostles. Because they murmured. <clears throat> See how that just drives wedges, that kind of attitude. 
To listen is to hear what they say so that you might feel what they feel. Without the second part of that, you're not listening. If you're just listening to hear what they say so that you can formulate your response, you're not listening. That's the problem. That's leveled against leadership frequently. You don't listen to us. I heard what you said, but that's not it. You're not supposed to just hear what they say. You're supposed to feel what they feel. That's the real hard part. That takes humility. And if you set up your defense right away, if you justify yourself, if you say anything, if you say anything to relieve your culpability against the charges that are leveled against you, whether or not they're right, if you do anything to to, uh, escape that, those charges, you do so at the expense of the one that is bringing the complaint. You do so at the expense of that relationship. And any husband knows it. He's done it to his wife. She has managed to overcome all of her fears and all of her uh, inhibition. And she's finally said something to him. And if he has this, if he's foolish enough to defend himself, he's just lost that. He's lost. He's lost it. He's burned the bridge. It's no more it's no longer a matter of whether you did this or did that or didn't do this or didn't do that. It's no longer a matter of that. It's a matter of what does the other person feel and how are you going to respond? How are you going to be how are you going to uh, repair that relationship because there has been an offense felt. It doesn't matter if it's true or accurate. It matters that it's been felt. So the apostles, their proposed solution to this thing is beautiful. They actually accept the culpability of what has been charged against them. They actually just they just accept it without any further discussion. They say, okay, obviously or apparently or whatever, we've dropped the ball as far as administration of these widows are concerned. We have dropped the ball. And, uh, and we cannot give any more time to it than what we have because we need to focus on the prayer and the word of God. So therefore, the responsibility for the administration of the widows needs to be taken away from us and given to somebody else who can do a better job. That's really what they say. That's a that's a good leader. That's a godly leader who's humble and able to accept the failures and shortcomings that are part of us, that we are, we're built, we're made out of, and 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 realize the uh, uh, the value and possibility, the abilities of others. 
So it says something very beautiful about the, the, those apostles. They were humble men. They were willing to see the, the, uh, this problem. Uh, this problem did not have a chance with this kind of an assembly, with this type of, uh, of leadership. The problem had no chance to get started. Huh. What a beautiful thing to see. How wonderfully the Spirit of God worked. And so the conclusion of all, verse 7, is the Word of God. It says, increased. What does that mean, increased Word of God? Well, I guess that means that its impact, that it's that it's that the appreciation of it and its and its influence in their lives of the people increased and developed. I think this is what it's saying is this this is church growth, like you want church growth, not necessarily numbers, but definitely growing from within. The inward growth of the church. They grew in grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They grew, didn't they? This church was a, experienced wonderful growth uh, because of the hum, humble leadership. Godly leadership, the working of the Holy Spirit in their midst, and also a multiplication of the uh, disciples in Jerusalem. So it did grow in numbers as well. So it grew both ways, both inwardly and outwardly. And it also says that even a, a, high, a number of the priests were obedient to the faith. <clears throat> the priests, as the chapter began, or early in the chapter, were spearheading the opposition. They were spearheading the persecution against the church. They took the apostles and put them all in the in the huskow. <laughs> and now you see, by the by the way the Spirit of God has worked in this body, even the uh, even their enemies are beginning to come to peace with them. Uh, even their opposition is being won over by the grace of God. So we would close this section and, uh, and our thoughts on this little portion. Father, we thank you for your word again. We thank you for the great grace that was displayed so wonderfully in the early church and, and recorded for us for our learning and instruction. Help us, we pray, O oh God. According to our own individual needs, of course, we how we look to you, uh, that you might apply this to our hearts, uh, the, the, the application of the wonderful privilege of your Holy Spirit. And so uh, we look to you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.